You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. So who that Wednesday, the day before the NFL draft, welcome into Crunch Time. Here on the game, it's 1037 Lafayette and 1041 in Lake Charles. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros, Matt Miguez here. Broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns got back on the winning track last night, winning 10-5 over Southern. LSU dropped another midweek. And this one might be a little more embarrassing than the last. As they fell to Nichols last night, 6-5 to five on an incredible double play ball to end the game. We'll talk about both of those games. We'll look at the NBA playoffs. What the hell happened in Boston? We'll talk about that and... Much more. We'll also take your calls on the game hotline 337-706-0111. I bring in my producer and co-host, Mr. James Mesh. James, happy hump day, sir. You can't be doing well. Man. I don't even want we're gonna have to talk about that later because that was ridiculous. You're just gonna have to get the moment the the anger like right here. <laughs> so that when the time comes you can just spew it. Because what I'm going to do is what you let me do during football season. I'm just going to sit back and let you run. It probably won't be as long of a rant. No. But. No, probably not. I'm I'm not happy with the Celtics. Let's let's start with LSU. Right. <laughs> that one. That was also not a. That was also a not so good moment. Look, I'm going to give credit to Nichols. They're a good baseball team. They have a good baseball program. But when you're LSU and you're the number one ranked team in the country, losing back-to-back midweek games to in-state schools doesn't look very good. Now... Of course, LSU doesn't necessarily prioritize midweek games, and well, it doesn't right. matter to them as much as because other in, schools. Because in the grand scheme, if they turn around and sweep Alabama this weekend, it doesn't matter. No one's going to talk about right. the loss it, to Nichols. It doesn't matter. But the fact that you were down 3 to nothing, you score four runs to take the lead, and you think, oh, well, they're, they're going to start putting it away here. No. Gave up three runs in the final two innings to fall six to five. And in the ninth, Jared Jones hits a homer to make it six five. And then you had the bases loaded for Cade Beloso. And then their shortstop makes an unbelievable diving grab for the second out of the inning. And on a pitch or on a hit, excuse me, that looked like it was going to fall. In no man's land. So Jack Merrifield, realizing, hey, that ball's going to fall. Let me go score the winning run. He jets off for third base. Well, the problem is is that the shortstop made the catch. 
And then at that point, and he was still too, he was still ninety feet away. Right. It was so, too late for him to try and go back to second. Throw it to the second baseman for the double play, and Nichols won the game six to five. Yikes! And the 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 story again was pitching. Now, uh, pitching got better for LSU. Thatcher Hurd was able to go four innings last night, gave up three hits, only one run. He walked two and struck out five. But every pitcher that took the mound for the Tigers last night gave up at least one run. Every single pitcher. Riley Cooper gave up two. Sam Dutton gave up one. Bryce Collins had two runs. Only one was earned. You walked four guys. You only got 10 strikeouts as a pitching staff. Pitching was off and on, and when it was on, your batting couldn't deliver as well. Now look, like I said earlier, if you go and take care of your business in SEC play, this doesn't really matter. But I know that a lot of LSU fans were highly upset with the way things went down last night at Alex Box Stadium. Flipping over to the Cajuns now. Kind of the same, even though they won. 10-5 to five in this one. After three innings, James, at the end of the third inning, it was 9 to nothing in favor of Louisiana. They gave up two in the fifth. You added one in the sixth. So after six, it was 10 to two. And then you give up three runs in the eighth. And of those five runs, four of them came with two outs. Against a team like Southern, and, and I hate to use that, but they're 13 and 22. So against a team like Southern, you can't give them free passes. You can't give them opportunities to score. Between walks and hit by pitches, you gave them five free passes last night. Now granted, you won the freebie battle because you had nine free passes. You you had two batters get hit, and you had seven batters get walked. So you won the freebie battle. But their five freebies turned into turned into runs. And you just can't let that happen against inferior competition. Because this weekend, you're going to play probably your toughest series of the, of the year when you host number six, Coastal Carolina. And after what happened in Harrisonburg this past weekend, James, it's safe to say... The Cajuns need to win the series at a minimum. Yeah, that's at an ab- absolute minimum. They've been riding they they were really shell-shocked when it came to that LSU win last Tuesday. And you could see it because they got swept by James Madison. They were able to bounce back last night, but then they got another game tonight. So to stay on track, you need to win tonight and then need to win over the weekend at a minimum, like you I, said. At least two out of three. I think it would really help. It would definitely really help if they swept. I don't know how likely it is, though. Right. Over the final 12 conference games, I, I said this either, either late last week or very early this week. You need to go 10-2. and 10-2. and two. 
Doesn't matter where the two losses really come from. You got, I would call two insurance losses. Right. Because if you go 12 and 0 and you sweep all three, absolutely True. incredible. Beautiful. But if you get the two losses within those series, you can still work with with the rest of those series, you can still work with that. What I would say, drop one to Coastal, drop one to Southern Miss, and then sweep Texas State and sweep ULM. Right. Go 10 and 2. That's your that's your most likely and optimal scenario outside of Getting going eleven and one or twelve and zero, and and you put yourself right back in the mix. Uh, also, McNeese picked up a win yesterday. It was a tight ball game between the Cowboys and the Generals of LSUA, with a one-one score through six. However, McNeese was able to hammer the gas down with two in the seventh and five in the eighth to win that game eight to one behind a home run by Dean Bittner in the eighth inning, a three-run shot by Bittner. And then you also had singles, a good, good performance from Braden Duyon with two RBIs in the contest as well. McNeese now 27-13 and 13 on the season. LSUA falls to 27-16. and 16. This weekend, the Cowboys will be in San Antonio for a three-game series with Incarnate Word before they return next weekend to Joe Miller Ballpark for a three-game set with Lamar. Looking at some top stories in sports, Aaron Rodgers introduced with the New York Jets today. He said he's not a savior, but he thinks the Jets can win a Super Bowl. Interesting. I disagree. But, of course, he's going to say that. He, he's now the quarterback of the Jets. Of course, he's going to say he thinks they can win a Super Bowl. Here's, here's what's interesting in the NFL news, James. The commanders have declined the fifth-year option on Chase Young. Do you agree with this move or no? I was talking with Ray about it earlier. They're probably looking at it to make sure, like, hey, before we kind of do any sort of extension with you, we want to make sure that you're healthy. And to me, that also kind of screams, I'm working on my final mock draft as we speak. And I'm looking at if the edge, depending on who's there for edge, you could see them repeating their recent history of taking a lot of edge and defensive line. And in case they're worried about his health long term, Maybe they move on from either Chase Young or move on from somebody else and bring in another young depth piece to save money. I, I get it. I, I get the health concerns. But, man, when you draft a guy second overall and the production that he's been able to give you in the time that he's on the field. And that's the big issue. How, do you, the, how do you not? Because the time on the field. Right. Of course. He, he hasn't been on the field enough. But when he's on the field... He's deadly. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens this year because obviously what, what they're doing is they're now telling Chase Young, prove to us why you deserve an extension. Because he's played 12 games in the last two years. Right. That's not enough. Not nearly enough. Because he could very easily come out this year and get 13 sacks. 
but he very easily could do something what he did last year in the last two years and get a combined one and a half. And also after getting crap from their transfers, Colorado has decided that they will give their transfers access to the practice film. <laughs> Peer pressure, baby. <laughs> Peer pressure from the public. Oh, man. Chris Rosevaglu is going to join us at 4.30. We'll talk NFL Draft, 5 o'clock. Brendan Moore, he's going to join us to also talk about the NFL Draft. And at 5.30, we'll do Who Dat Wednesday with Brendan Ertle. James, can you guess what we're going to talk about? Saints in the NFL Draft. There you go. There it is. It's draft week, baby. Tomorrow is draft day. It's all, it's Christmas 2.0. It, it's finally time. It's It's time. I'm ready for Carolina to just take Bryce Young and Houston to take somebody. You saw Will Levis's odds went from 4,000 to 400 for the number yeah. one pick. From 40 to 1 to 4 to 1 overnight. That's. Look. W- <laughs> if that happens. I'm, I'm starting Saints to. Saints be- fans can rejoice. I'm starting to believe that there's going to be four quarterbacks taken in the top 10. I'm starting to believe it. And if that's the case, oof, Saints are going to have a lot of fun because they're going to have opportunities galore to pick up the guys that they really want. We'll take a time out here on Crunch Time. We return. We'll talk NBA playoffs, including the Celtics imploding in the garden. We'll do that next. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, is your home for the McNeese Coaches Show, presented by Mr. Bill's Seafood Express, the Southwest Beverage Company, line of bed out of Westlake, and the Southwest Louisiana Law Center. Tune in tonight starting at 6 as host Jim Gazzolo will be talking all things Cowboys. You can hear it all right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and it is your home for the McNeese Coaches Show. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 419, almost 420. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. James, buddy, the Celtics were up 15 in the fourth quarter. And they lost. Care care to explain? The Celtics have a tendency to, as someone like to quote, play with their food. And they like to squander a lot of leads. And it's pretty annoying. Because it's like you dominate the whole game. And you can show that dominance by being up 15 to 20 points as the final score. But no, it always seems to be a lot closer than it should be. And I get it. Trey Young, if he shoots enough, he's going to make enough threes. But there should have been no reason that the Celtics should have lost last night in the Garden. Ice and they, also, they also should have swept them already. You should be sitting on your couch because I don't see the Hawks as very good. Come on, keep it going. Keep it going. Don't worry about it. 
I'll do my thing. They should have swept them from the very beginning. The fact that the Hawks have gotten two games on the Celtics is embarrassing and utterly ridiculous. If they win one more game, I don't even care if the Celtics were to win game seven. I don't even want them to move on to the next round because that is ridiculous. You should not have gone this long with the Hawks of all teams. The Hawks? I get it that Milwaukee is down 3-1 to one to the Heat. But the Heat are a really tough team, as we've seen the last couple of years, and they've shown why they deserve to be in that 2020 Finals in the bubble with the Lakers. But the Hawks, who have been mid at best, as you can see in their record, they're 500, the definition of mid, and you're a team that went 57-25, and held that number one seed for most of the season, and you've ha- you're having to go to game six with the Hawks as the two seed? So stupid. So dumb. You should be done. You should be sitting your ass on the couch waiting with Philly for the next round. But no, you're still playing because you want to play stupid and let the Hawks come back and beat you in your home court. Come on, dog. Come on. Jalen Brown did his thing with 35. Jason Tatum did mid for his standards with 22. Didn't shoot the best. He shot, what, one for eight from three? One of ten. One of ten. Even worse. The I I couldn't remember. I remember the last time I looked at it, and, and it was one for seven. And you're also being generous with the 22. He had 19. That's right. He didn't even get to 20. I thought he got to 20. So, I don't know what's going on. You need to finish this out. Why did Grant Williams not play? They haven't really played Grant much this series. It's just they have a lot of depth, though. It's, so it's like depending on the matchup, they may go a little more defense heavy or maybe go a small ball or go a different type of lineup just to like throw off the Hawks. You kind of saw that a lot early on, but they really haven't played Grant. It's the same thing what you see with other teams. Maybe they'll play a certain center depending on the matchup and the team that they play, but in other series, you may not see them at all. So Grant Grant just hasn't seen a whole lot of playing time lately, and it, it, I've kind of seen a lot. They they've tend to go with more of the guard heavy, a lot of Brogdon, a lot of Derek White, a lot of Marcus Smart, and then bringing in others. They've started bringing Rob Williams back, which I'm happy for. But 54% from the free throw line. Bravo. Bravo. Absolutely fantastic. You know what's funny? This was really... This is really dumb on me, and I'm I'm just looking to piss away money. But I still had like a hundred dollars in my oh my god Fanduel account. You bet on him last night. No, hold on, hold on, hold hold the phone as I'm holding the phone. I did a twenty two leg parlay. Oh my god! You want to you want to hear it? No, no, I'm gonna tell you. Oh my god! So. It it was a mix of the three games from last night and then having Will Anderson. Did you, did you put all hundred dollars on it? No. Okay. No. I was about to say. No, I didn't put all hundred dollars. Oh man. I you did. poor pitiful fool. <laughs> you pitiful fool. You degenerate. <laughs> no wonder FanDuel is is fine with me doing live reads for them. No. I had the Boston money line. Okay. Had Jason Tane to score twenty five plus. Okay. So both of those. Gone. Missed. 
<laughs> Jalen Brown, 25 plus. Okay, you got that one. Derek White, 15 plus. Got he that hit. one. Uh, Boston, first half winner and full time winner. You're fine in the first half, but right. second half, you failed. Jason Tatum got his eight rebounds that I needed, and Trey Young definitely had his 20 plus that I needed. Uh, I did separate individuals parlays for each one of them. So everything on the Denver part, the Denver Timberwolves parlay I had Nuggets money line, Jokic eight assists, Denver first half winner, Denver full time winner, Jamal Murray 15 plus points, Nikola Jokic 20 plus points, Nikola Jokic eight plus rebounds, and then Anthony Edwards 25 plus. So I ended up getting my money back on that one. Real, real quick, before you continue, Mm -hmm. you brought up the Denver game. And I thought I thought Denver didn't have anybody outside of Nikola Jokic. Right. What happened, what happened to that? What happened to that mindset? Jamal Murray, 35 points, five assists, went five of nine from downtown, shot over 50% from the field total. Contavious Caldwell Pope had 10. Brown had 14 off the bench. Aaron Gordon had 14. Michael Porter Jr. was okay with eight. He had 10 rebounds. But you, you, you remember yesterday we were told that all Denver had was the Joker. <laughs> hmm. Solid contributions from a lot of other people. Hmm. Okay. And then, so continue. And then for the Suns Clippers part of the parlay, had Suns money line Durant twenty plus, Chris Paul six plus assists, Westbrook to score twenty plus, which he didn't. I had I had Westbrook to get at least a block because he looking good in that category throughout the whole series, but he didn't record one unfortunately. And then Westbrook six. Well, of course, of course he didn't. The night that you needed him to do one, that's he's what not I'm going to. That's how it usually goes. And then. Russell Westbrook, six plus rebounds, and I took the over on two twenty three and a half. Oh, and I, then yeah, you got that. And then Will Anderson, the number two overall pick. Yo, so Russ shot three of eighteen. Oh, <laughs> Lakers Russ popped up last night. Oh, so I missed out on five. Could be six if Will Anderson doesn't go number and I, two. Overall. I don't. I don't need to know how much you put on it. It was 15. You told me anyway. Okay. How much would you have won? 10,700. Oh, no. Oh, you. Oh, buddy. I feel so sorry for you. You shouldn't. (laughs) I feel so sorry for you. And the one leg that you still have to see if it hits won't. It it won't matter. It, it It won't matter, but it won't hit. Okay. Um, but no, I put five on the Denver, like I did the same exact parlay for Denver, Minnesota, put five and I got 24 out of it. So nice or 22. So, so you made your money back. I got in total, I put $30 down. So I, I negged eight. That's it's not bad. But I mean, when you win as bold of a strategy as a 22, like right. parlay and you only lost eight bucks, it's not bad. This is the worst thing in the world, especially when so far, 15 of them or 16 17 of them have hit tonight 16 tonight that is gonna be juicy tonight's gonna be juicy you got the Knicks Cavs the Knicks looking to move on to the second round 
for the first time in a lifetime. It feels like it's been ages since they've been in the second round of the playoffs. The Lakers are looking to clean out the Grizzlies tonight. I don't think that's going to happen, but I, you never know. I wouldn't be surprised. Miami moves on and beats the Bucks tonight. And then and then the Kings and Warriors. God, that series has been everything you wanted and then some. Every single game in this series has been back and forth down to the wire except for game three the Warriors ended up winning that game by 17 but I mean game one was by three points game two was by eight points game four was by one point the series has been absolutely incredible De'Aaron Fox is going to play with a fractured finger tonight in Sacramento give me the Kings give me the Kings DeMontis Sabonis has a huge night. De'Aaron Fox does enough. And then Harrison Barnes shoves it to his old team. Let's have some fun with that, shall we? Take a time out here, 4.30 on near Wednesday edition of Crunch Time. Chris Rosevaglu from Boot Crew Media joins us next. We'll talk about the Saints draft strategy. And Mickey Loomis said, for now, they have eight picks. What does that mean? We'll do that next. This is Crunch Time, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 435 on a Wednesday. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company specializing in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. The NFL draft just close to 24 hours away now. The Saints sit at 29 for now. Could they get more than eight draft picks? Who do they draft? Who should they try to move up for? A lot of questions to answer. Let's talk with our guy, Chris Rosevaglu of Boot Crew Media. He joins us here on the Game Hotline. Chris, really appreciate you taking the time, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. So, Mickey Loomis spoke today, and he said, as of right now, the Saints have eight picks. How many more picks do you think he's trying to get? I think it's more so, you know, for the Saints, the way they operate, they're one of their they're one of those teams over the last couple of years, they've really gone with the, you know, quality over quantity. And I think it's more so looking at it as do they have less than eight picks when this all goes about? Is it a minor move up on day one? Is it maybe day two where, okay, they sat at twenty nine, they got what they needed, and maybe day two there's a running back that they're looking for, or maybe an offensive guard slips and they want to move up from that 40 spot. That's the way I kind of looked at it for now. Obviously, everything's on the table for the Saints, but I see it more as them looking to trade up and probably having less than eight picks when this thing is all said and done. Realistically, how far do you think they're looking to trade up? I know they they have a long history of trading up. They've done it 24 times in the last 16 drafts, but how, how far do you think they're willing to go up? 
Yeah, I think it really depends on, you know, who's available. But if we're looking at just, you know, putting out a number in terms of the pick that they could get to, I think you're looking at them moving up but still staying in the 20s. Uh, And the reason I say that is there's two factors that go into it. The first thing is I don't think they really want to double dip into their first-round picks in back-to-back years for the future years. You know, last year they made that trade with the Eagles. They kind of dipped into the 2023 first-round pick. This year, do they want to dip into the 2024 asset when there's a lot riding on this season in terms of if things don't go well, there could be major changes? I don't see that. So between that and then the fact that there really isn't going to be that premier pass rusher in the top 10 that the Saints can realistically go get because it'd be so expensive, I think you're looking more at kind of in the 20 range. You could see a team like maybe the Chargers, maybe the team like the Jaguars where Maybe they're trying to accumulate picks, and there could be a defensive lineman that's still lingering around that New Orleans thinks, okay, I have to leapfrog a couple of teams to go out there and get him. So I'm thinking maybe anywhere from five to eight spots is probably the realistic goal for the Saints. Now that the Saints don't sit in a situation where they have a position of need, they're kind of now in the operation where they can just kind of take best available or a guy that they've really grown to like. In your opinion, uh, do you think they lean more towards the offense in this year's draft or the defense? I'm kind of thinking for the first round, they're going to lean defense. And the reason I say that is when you kind of listen to what Mickey Loomis was talking about today, he spoke about how you know there's depth at running back, there's depth at quarterback, and there's depth at tight end in this class. And he's absolutely right about that, especially tight end and running back. I think those are positions where you can get really good value on day two, even day three, depending how the board shapes out. So that leads me to believe that he's kind of looking at the defense in this first round, and there are a lot of options there, whether it's a Lucas Van Ness from Iowa, whether it's a Kalijah Cansey from Pittsburgh, or a Brian Brzee from Clemson. I think it's going to be defense in the first round, uh, but make no mistake about it, if the Saints end up maybe going two picks on offense on day two, or maybe uh, one pick on day two on offense, and maybe a couple early ones on day three to help that side of the ball, that wouldn't surprise me, but I would say with the first pick, you're probably looking at defense. Now, Chris, when you look at the rest of the draft, not just the Saints, earlier this week Aaron Rodgers was dealt to the Jets in a move that we've long anticipated for a while now. Um, how, how does that change the the draft from a league perspective now that you know the Packers could use a quarterback if they're not fully sold on Jordan Love, might go skill player to get Jordan Love some more weapons. How does that change the the draft landscape for other teams? Yeah, you know, I think what you mentioned the second part is the more interesting, right? If, if the Packers go with a skill player, you know, maybe Jackson Smith and Jigba is there at 13, and that's kind of the luxury of them doing the pick swap from 15 to 13. They move up a couple of spots, maybe Dak secures it, or – Maybe they end up going for Jordan Addison from USC, Isaiah Flowers from Boston College, whatever it may be. If they go, you know, skill position that early at that number 13 spot, that could do one of two things. That can force, you know, teams to kind of move up and, and get a defensive alignment if they feel like they're out of position. Or maybe that kind of sparks a run on that skill position of pass catchers. And if that's the case, that would be great news for the Saints because then it, they probably don't have to move up that far if they do feel like they have to climb up the board, which means it'd be less expensive. So I think that's kind of what you're looking at right now if this Aaron Rodgers trade has any factor on it. And for the Jets' perspective, I think you're kind of looking at it from this. I think if you're the Jets, you got to go out there and either get an offensive lineman to help Aaron Rodgers a little bit more, or maybe they add a little bit more firepower to their defensive line. But you know, I think that there's a, re- a realistic chance from that 13 to that 15 to 16 spot, 
there's going to be some guys that go off the board that I don't think the Saints were necessarily looking at anyway. Uh, so hopefully maybe that continues and there's a trend there and that pushes some of that D-line talent down. Now, you talked about D-line talent, and a name I've heard thrown around a lot is Lucas Van Ness out of Iowa. If he slips into the early 20s, do you think the Saints scoot up to go get him? You know, if that's the guy that they've been targeting this whole time, I think so, because their M.O. is always about getting the player, not so much worrying about what it took to get there. Uh, And we've seen it in the past before, you know, just look back a couple years to Marcus Davenport and Uh, You know, obviously that trade didn't work out the way the Saints wanted it to, but at the time, they viewed him as the missing piece. They thought he was going to be a huge addition to their D-line, and they went up and they got him. And I think for Lucas Van Ness, there's an interesting aspect to his game where you can say the best is yet to come because this is a player who is not refined yet as a pass rusher. He's got a lot of work to do, and he's got the physical intangibles, so you know that's set. Um, But I think it really comes down to preference on the D-line. Do the Saints value getting another edge rusher, or do they really feel like they have to go out there and get another defensive tackle? And I think that's where you kind of had that debate as to do they move up for a Miles Murphy or Lucas Van Ness, or do they move up for a Kalijah Canty slash Brian Brzee? So either way, it's going to be fascinating. I think the thing that helps Van Ness out a little bit is that because he's so tall, because he's so strong, I think that gives him the ability to kind of move around the entire D-line, and maybe that's something that the Saints value a lot. But I do think that's one of those names where if the Saints do move up, there's a good chance he's one of those guys that's on the board and you start thinking about, okay, is he wearing the black and gold this fall? Now, from your point of view, you know, I know you said that you feel like the Saints are going to lean defense. Who, who are some prospects that you really like schematically in New Orleans? Yeah, I think the first one has to be Brian Brzee from Clemson. And the reason I say that is you're talking about a guy who – you know, production-wise, it's not the, you know, massive amount of sacks that you're going to see and QB hits that you want, but you're talking about a five-star recruit who was the number one guy in his class. And unfortunately, whether it was his health or traumatic situations off the field, he had a lot to go through. And I think that definitely plays a factor into why we didn't get to see the full array of Brian Brzee this past year. But I think what he can do as a run defender, what he can do in terms of just blowing up plays, um, you know, whether it's rushing the passer or just stuff in the run, I think that's something the Saints can absolutely use. And I think he's probably the most well-balanced guy from a realistic option for the Saints. As for Kalijah Kansi, the reason I keep coming back to him is there are some similarities between him and Sheldon Rankins where it comes down to, okay, you might get some really good pass rushing from this defensive tackle spot. The question for the Saints, though, is, is he too undersized where that's a big concern for them? Uh, and that's why those are two names that have been linked to the Saints a lot. I would say Brzee's probably the, the better fit. And you mentioned Van Ness. It's not just that it's a popular pick and a trendy pick. He literally fits what the Saints mold has been for the last couple of years. So for that reason, he probably is also a good schematic uh, entrance for the Saints. But if we're talking just not just defense and we're looking everywhere, a pick that may shock some Saints fans in terms of not having that position that high on their board, but it makes a lot of sense in terms of future value plus position, would be Osiris, uh, Osiris Torrance from Florida, uh, interior offensive lineman. He just kind of fits the Saints' MO of what they want to do. And they do have kind of a, a need at offensive guard post-2023 with Pete being a free agent and Reese's fifth-year option still up in the air. You see, that that's... I'm glad you brought Osiris Torrance up, chatting with Chris Rosevaglu here on Crunch Time. So if the Saints would go to draft Osiris Torrance and you have one year left on Andrews Pete's deal, 
could it be possible that if you see enough development out of Osiris Torrance early on that the Saints could look to maybe deal Andrews Pete? You know, I, I think, you know, it's all, I'm never going to rule anything out with the Saints, but I think the, the bigger likelihood for New Orleans is more so just keeping all their options up on the table and on the roster at guard. And the reason I say that is and it, it's not, you know, a knock on Pete. It's just the unfortunate circumstances. He usually doesn't play all 16, 17 games anyway. So I think there's a good chance that if you do draft him, there's a, there's a, a pretty good odds that he might have to play important snaps at some point just by necessity anyway. And I think it always makes sense for the Saints to keep what they got out there, especially because Pete has history of also playing tackle. And we've seen with Trevor Penning, unfortunately, the two foot injuries early in his rookie season. So I think it's more likely to keep everyone there. But I do think that, that Torrance can, can absolutely you know, make an impact year one if he ends up getting drafted. I know it's not the popular or trendy pick, but it's definitely a sneaky position of need. And he's the type of player who I think um, you know, in five years' time you can look back and go, okay, I'm definitely glad the Saints went out there and got him. In your opinion, who is the greatest first-round draft pick in Saints history? Ooh, I mean, it's all it's all kind of relative to, to preference. But what I will say in terms of greatest first-round pick in value, um, I'm going to have to go with my guy Cam Jordan. And the reason I say this is Cam Jordan is the type of player that when you look at the production and you look at the fact that he was a 24th pick, I think it's kind of hard to, to beat that. And, I mean, when it's all said and done, I think he's going to be considered a Hall of Famer. We're talking about over 115 sacks, a player that's had all-pro three times in his career, pretty much makes the Pro Bowl every single season. He made the All-Decade team in 2010 uh, for the 2010. So I'd go Cam Jordan if I'm, if I'm balancing value with also production because if you tell me you get a Hall of Famer at the 24th pick, I think that's pretty good. And then lastly, I'll, I'll flip the script. In your opinion, where do you think the Saints screwed up in the first round? You know, I think this is kind of tough because it, it seems like it's recency bias. But I will be looking at that, that Marcus Davenport pick and wondering what went wrong. And it's not a knock on Davenport because I actually think that, you know, in terms of bust, he is by far not the biggest bust the Saints have had. But when I look at the time that he came in, it was really rough because it was 2018. You're thinking about what's the missing piece to get that second Super Bowl with Drew Brees. And not only has he missed time, his rookie year he missed time and he wasn't able to be a playoff performer for them. And you could look at it two ways. You could look at what if they added a different defensive player to the mix, would that have gotten them over the hump? Or if they added a weapon, would that have allowed them to beat the Rams or beat the Vikings the year after? Or you can say, what if they actually drafted their future successor? Remember Lamar Jackson at the time was still on the board. Some Saints fans are getting their hopes up thinking he was the guy. So I always look at that one, and I'm not saying he's the biggest bust because he's not, and he's still in the league, and he's going to make a lot of money this upcoming season. But it's one of those biggest what-ifs because the Saints could have either drafted their successor or maybe got the missing piece to a core that was oh so close to winning a Super Bowl. Chris Rosevaglu of Boot Crew Media joins us here on Crunch Time. Chris, appreciate your time. Enjoy gra- enjoyed the draft weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds great. Hope you guys enjoyed the draft. And there he goes, Chris Rosevaglu of Boot Crew Media. We'll take a timeout here on Crunch Time 448, and when we return, we'll wrap up hour number one. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. 
Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game has a brand new app and it is your one-stop shop for all things 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana sports station. Download the app today for free for your Apple or Android device. Just search the game Southwest Louisiana. That way, no matter where you are, you can listen to Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. He'll look up at the goner. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time, wrapping up our number one here in the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. Foodie poll question of the day. If you haven't voted already on Facebook and Twitter, go ahead and do that and leave a comment if, if you don't mind. What it is, is what's your favorite festival international food item? Is it a po' boy? You know, a Cajun dish in general? Desserts? Or is it something else? Right now, Cajun dish is leaning as the fader. Favorite. At 40.7% with Po' Boy at 25.9. 20% goes towards dessert. And then the final 13% goes to other. What about you, Matt? I know you like to partake in Festival International. What's uh, something that you really yeah. like to go for? The best food item at Festival International. And I can't remember the name of the place that sells it. But it is a bread bowl that they cut the top off of and they fill it with this crawfish spinach dip so picture spinach and artichoke dip without the artichokes and put crawfish in it and you put it inside the bread and so the bread just gets like mushy and then you just eat it with the craw oh man it's so good and you can only I've only been able to find it at Festival International so that's what I look forward to Every single year. Yeah, it's practically a special item there. I I had taken pictures of it last year for our social media when I had went, but I didn't get to taste it, but it, it looked really good. Now, what else looked really good was the Houston Astros last night as they got the 5-0 to win over the Tampa Bay Rays in Tampa. How was that? I mean, you said it would have been 5-3 to as your score. You got the 5 right, but who would have thought they would have held the race scoreless? The twenty and three at the time race. I was I was very surprised. I was very surprised. And all five runs came in the fifth inning. So that's a five run fifth. And none of them were Boombas. No, not a single home run in this game. Uh you know, it's gonna be interesting now that the series is tied. Hunter Brown's on the mound tonight. He's played really well as of late. Um uh, so definitely intrigued to see. How that one's going to go. By the way, you can catch it on News Talk 98.5 Astro Launch beginning at 510. First pitch set for 530. It'll be Hunter Brown against Calvin Foucher. The lineup for the Astros, Mauricio Dubon will look to continue his hitting streak. Jeremy Pena will bat second, Tucker third, Bregman fourth, Abreu fifth, Jolks sixth, Myers seventh. David Hensley returns to the lineup. He'll bat eighth, and Jainier Diaz will be catching and batting ninth for the Astros. The Astros now 13-11, and 11, and thank God somebody beat the Tampa Bay Rays at home because 
someone had to do that job, and it happened to be the Astros' job. The the piper the piper was getting frustrated. He was he was starting to get a little angry. Oh, Caleb Broussard just commented on our poll question: the pops bread bowl. So if you haven't had that one, it's crawfish mac and cheese in a bread bowl. Oh, that that one's good too. Uh, something about Festival International and carbs just go together. But anyways, in hour number two, we're going to kick it off talking with our friend Brendan Moore from the Sideline Sports Network. We'll get his thoughts on the NFL draft from the prospect perspective. Who stands out? Who could fall? Who could rise? And then at 5.30, we'll do Who That Wednesday with our guy Brendan Ertle. We'll look at it once again from the Saints perspective. Who can rise? Who can fall? Things like that. Plus, at 5.15... A special conversation with the marketing director of Festival International, Miss Carly Viator, and the market president of First Horizon Bank, Mr. Jerry Prejean. All of that and much more coming up to kick off our number two of Crunch Time right here on the game. It's 1037 Lafayette and 1041 in Lake Charles as we're broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Remember, here in Acadiana, you can watch our simulcast by going to Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber and also in hour number two. Don't forget to hit us up on the game hotline at 337-706-0111. We'll take that time out now. Wrap up hour number one. Hour number two starts right after this top of the hour sports update. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, the game hotline is 337-706-0111 as we are broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Don't forget to go vote on our poll question of the day. What is your favorite food item from Festival International, which gets underway tonight here in downtown Lafayette through Sunday? Tomorrow night, Christian superstar Lauren Daigle, who's also a Lafayette native, will perform at 930 But when you look at the world of sports today, we talked earlier about LSU falling to Nichols last night, 6-5. We talked about the Cajuns taking down Southern, 10-5. McNeese picking up their win over LSU A, 8-1. And we looked at the Astros, 5-0 win over the Tampa Bay Rays. Plus, we've talked NBA playoffs as well, and the poor, poor Boston Celtics. Just an absolute travesty that they've lost again to the Hawks. To the Hawks. To the Atlanta Hawks. Game six. Between the Celtics and the Hawks is tomorrow. Sorry, I'm just rubbing it in James Mesh. (laughs) He, He hates me. He hates me. Let's continue the conversation about the NFL draft. First round taking place tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Second round and third round on Friday, while 4 through 7 will be on Saturday. Brendan Moore 
from the Sideline Sports Network. He joins us on the game hotline. We'll talk about some draft prospects from the college perspective. Brendan, thanks for taking the time, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, I don't. I don't think you were really clear enough. Who did the Celtics lose to again last night? The Atlanta Hawks. Oh, I got you. I got you. James hates both of us right now. (laughs) (laughs) So, Brendan, when you look at this draft, obviously, you know, we'll start at the top with Carolina. It's clear that they're going after a quarterback. And they said yesterday that they know who it's going to be. In your opinion, who is Carolina taking? I mean, it should be Bryce Young. I think he's the... Like, there's no question about it. I think he's the number one quarterback in this draft. I think uh, he's got a ton of heart, great arm talent. Uh, I, I know his size is only like 5'10", 5'11". That could be a little bit of a concern that might separate him from between from uh, being a generational quarterback in the, in the NFL as opposed to just being a great quarterback in the NFL. But I still think Bryce Young, to me, is the number one overall quarterback. When I look at some of the others, there's flaws in them. Stroud. He's not a he's not a great runner. He has the size of the arm strength, but to me, he's not a great runner. And he proved that throughout college. Didn't really run a whole lot. Whereas the NFL nowadays, you kind of want that dual threat guy that can that when there's pressure on the quarterback, he can scramble. He can make plays happen with his feet. And Will Levis has gotten a lot of hype recently, uh, kind of out of nowhere. I mean, I still don't really buy into him. Just his pocket presence is uh, a little slower than Young. So really, I think Young is by by far the best quarterback prospect in this draft. You look at Anthony Richardson; he's another one that's being mentioned a whole lot. To me, Richardson, yeah, he's got a super high ceiling. He's a freak athlete. We knew that, though. If you watch college football, you knew that the combine results were not a surprise. We knew Anthony Richardson was a freak athlete. He's just got to hone in the accuracy. Like he completed fifty fifty one percent of his balls last year his passes at Florida. That, to me, is more of a concern than than uh, pretty much anything with Anthony Richardson. So I think Bryce Young should be the number one pick. Now, when, when looking at Bryce Young and the, the fit that he would be in, in Carolina, talk about you know what he could do with, with the weapons that kind of lack now in, in Carolina now that they traded away D.J. Moore to get that number one overall pick. Yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, Bryson can make plays happen with his feet. He can he can buy time for his receivers when there's pressure coming from the defensive line linebackers. He can escape. He can make plays, buy time for those receivers to get open. You know, so he can direct traffic. He's a he's a leader, so he can really get the most out of his skill players. So that's why I think he's a fit in Carolina. I think Carolina's going to be looking for a guy like Bryce Young who can do a little bit of both. And uh, yeah, that's why I don't think they're really going to go with uh, with Stroud or, or Levis at one. Why do you think the the hype with Will Levis ha- has skyrocketed? I mean, the odds of him getting picked number two overall have gone from forty to one to four to one basically overnight. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously got potential. He's got the size. He's six four. He's, I mean, he's, uh, you know, he can see over the offensive line obviously with his size. He does have a strong arm, so he's got potential. He's got some of the tools, but I don't. But to me, when I'm if I'm a GM, I'm drafting someone that I think is a surefire hit. 
with within the team and can play in the NFL immediately. I don't think Will Levis is ready yet. That's just me. I mean, he's got potential, like I said, at 6'4", but, I mean, with his legs is questionable, his accuracy is questionable, downfield ball to me is a little bit questionable. So, to me, I don't know, there's just too many question marks with Levis as opposed to a Bryce Young or even a C.J. Stroud. Now, which defensive prospect, you know, and obviously Will Anderson is the best defensive prospect, but there's been a lot of talk about Tyree Wilson. What stands out about Wilson, and how close behind do you think he is to Will Anderson? Yeah, I mean, I think Will Anderson, like you said, the number one guy in the draft as far as uh, defensive players go. I think Tyree Wilson's an interesting uh, an interesting pass rusher to look at. He's very quick. I mean, he's, just, he's strong. Uh, he's quick, like I mentioned before. Uh, he, he can really... He's versatile as well. He can play as a defensive end, play as an outside linebacker. So he's kind of that edge rusher mix. So NFL teams can kind of mix and match. Will mix and match? Excuse me. Will he go over a guy like Jalen Carter? I don't know. We'll see. I think Jalen Carter is a better player, but Jalen Carter, I don't think we really talked about him yet. But he's got some concerns, obviously, with what happened a couple months ago. Uh, so I mean, I, you could see Tyree Wilson jump into the top five. I would not be shocked to see that. Chatting with Brendan Moore of the Sideline Sports Network. How many trades do do you see happening just in the top ten tomorrow night? Trades are always tough to project. I I think there's a like currently in the top ten. There's been already like four or five trades like before draft night. But I could see a couple more. Really, obviously Carolina won't trade. They already got they tra- already traded for the number one pick. I could see the Lions trading down possibly from that sixth spot. If they don't like what they see, if they don't want to take a risk with Jalen Carter, because I think Will Anderson's going to go before the Lions pick. I think the Lions will want to go with uh, a defensive player, especially along the defensive line or maybe an outside linebacker. So I think the Lions, you could see trade down. Uh, yeah, so I think I think there'll be at least one, maybe two in here. Is, is it possible that Arizona could be one of those teams to trade out? Uh, you know, they could be. I mean... As far as team needs go, I mean, they need a lot on defense. So, and there's going to be, they have their pick pretty much on defense. They're at the number three spot. They can pretty much pick whoever they want on defense. I mean, if Will Anderson goes at two, you know, you've still got Jalen Carter on the board. You've still got Tyree Wilson, Miles Murphy from Clemson, a couple other cornerbacks on the board as well that are quality players. But I, I think, I honestly think Arizona is going to stay at three just because they need that defensive presence who's your favorite edge rusher prospect in this draft i think it's will anderson i mean he's been at the forefront of the college football landscape pretty much on terms of defensive players for two years now i mean he's an elite edge rusher uh he's just i mean six four he's got the size uh, he's super fast. I mean, his stats at Alabama, especially in the, uh, in the 2021 season, really speak for itself. Uh, he reminds me a lot of Von Miller. Dude's freaky fast. Uh, he's aggressive. I mean, he can rush the passer, play a little bit in coverage as well, get from sideline to sideline. So I really like Will Anderson. I think if there's one player who I think is a surefire lock to have a great NFL career, I'd say it's Will Anderson more than anybody. Now looking, you know, close to to home for us with the New Orleans Saints, 
They're currently at pick number 29, but in the last 16 drafts, they have traded up 24 times. I feel like they're going to make it 25 tomorrow night. In your opinion, looking at the Saints and you know where they could use some help, who should they go after? That's an interesting stat that you just brought up. I mean, they could definitely trade up, uh, but I think they need help a little bit on the defensive line. I wouldn't be shocked to see them go. Uh, edge rusher maybe, maybe even interior defensive line. That's where I think they need to go personally. Who, who will be available by when they pick? Could be looking at maybe a Kalijah Cansey, Nolan Smith kind of territory. Uh is a good good, uh, good player out of Penn. Is he, is he top 10, top 15 material? I don't think so, but I like Cansey. Uh, he's got a lot of talent. I mean, People have compared him to Aaron Donald. I wouldn't go that far, but I do think he'd be a solid player to pick up for the Saints to even rotate in this season. Brian Brzee is another guy at defensive tackle. Uh, he's very explosive. He's fast for his for his size. I think he's 6'6". So I, I like, I think they go defensive line. What storylines or you know prospects are you keeping a really, really close eye on as the first round gets underway tomorrow night? Uh, I'll touch back on quarterbacks. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how how uh, how the top four guys kind of play out. Is it going to be Bryce Young at one, Stroud at two, and then uh, either Anthony Richardson or Will Levis at three or four? However, that plays out, or will someone else surprise? I think Dorian Thompson Robinson has been trending a lot, trending up a lot lately. I think I uh, mentioned him last time I was on the, on on uh, on your show. I really like his arm strength. He's really not awful at any one of his skill sets. He's good at running the football. Uh, he's got great ups. I mean, he's high, he's uh, jumped over defenders multiple times during his time at UCLA. He's shifty, good arm, good downfield passing, got touch on the football. I think I, he's, I, he's solid at everything and not bad at anything, if that make, kind of makes sense. So I think it'll be interesting to see if who's going to be that fifth quarterback or who maybe can jump ahead of any one of the top four quarterbacks that now, we already mentioned. Now, speaking of quarterbacks, you, you brought up Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Could it be possible that the Saints snag a quarterback in the mid to late rounds? How much do you trust Derek Carr? I, I don't know. I, I really don't this late in his career. Derek Carr, I don't trust him a whole lot. But as far as who would be available in the late rounds, you, I'm like six or round six or seven, I mean, you could be looking at a – Maybe like Jake Hayner, I think, is an interesting prospect. I mean, he's he's a dog. and He played through injury throughout a majority of the year this year. Uh, I know he played in the bowl game. Didn't I? He could have opted out of the bowl game. He played in it through injury, led his team to a Mountain West Championship, led his team to a, to a bowl victory. I like Jake Hayner and his toughness. Uh, also in that territory, could be looking at someone like Adrian Martinez, Malik Cunningham. Uh, I think Cunningham's interesting. I know he went to Louisville, so naturally as a dual-threat quarterback, he drew a lot of comparisons uh, to Lamar Jackson. Obviously, I don't think he's as good as Lamar Jackson, but Cunningham's definitely a dual-threat kind of guy that could kind of give Saints an interesting option outside of Derek Carr and to kind of develop a little bit. So, Brendan Moore of the Sideline Sports Network joining us here on crunch time brendan really appreciate you taking the time man enjoy the draft this weekend and uh we'll talk to you again soon yep you as well and there he goes brendan moore of the sideline sports network as we look at a couple of more uh, of top stories in sports 
the Seattle Mariners getting a crushing blow. Robbie Ray will miss the rest of the 2023 season after having surgery on his flexor tendon. He was shut down after his first start with a forearm injury and tests revealed the issue. Uh, Once again, he will miss the remainder of the season. When you look at the Aaron Rodgers to the Jets trade, you know, we, we talked earlier about how he was introduced to the New York media earlier today. And he was asked why New York felt like a fit to him. And part of it was he feels like he could play well into his 40s. He said that New York is building something special the right way and with the right values, the right type of leadership, and he thinks that he could fit in perfectly. And coming from just a few months ago when he wasn't sure that he would even continue to play, he came out of his darkness retreat noting that there was a communication issue with the Packers that he felt was the main reason why he did not want to return to Green Bay. So the deal gets done with the Jets, and he is closing in on playing in the NFL well into his 40s. And now the Jets have the opportunity with guys like Brees Hall and Michael Carter, Garrett Wilson, Alan Lazard, Mikael Hardman, and then Zach Wilson as the backup. The Jets might have something here. Maybe. Am I saying that they're a surefire Super Bowl contender? Absolutely not. But could I see the Jets as an 11-12 win team? Yeah. Yeah, I could. I could see him winning the AFC East. I could see Aaron Rodgers and Josh Allen having two incredible battles for the division title. So things will definitely be interesting up in New York. I'm just surprised that this deal went through because, James, I told you about this off the air. For a guy that has been very quiet and very reserved his entire career, to go to the biggest media circus in the world that is New York City just doesn't seem like it makes a whole lot of sense. Right, it caught me off guard because... I get it. People were saying it and you'd want to significantly improve your QB play from going from Zach Wilson to Aaron Rodgers. But to me, if you want to be quite reserved and like you mentioned before, like the Pat McAfee show talking about nobody really knows what's going on because he doesn't really have a circle for people to talk to, to get information from. It feels like that's going to be an invasion of privacy. If you're going to go to somewhere like the big apple, but I mean, if he really wants to be there, I don't think it really matters to him at this point, this late in his career. 519, almost 520 here on your Wednesday. We'll take a timeout. We return Carly Vietor, the marketing director of Festival International, and Jerry Prejean, the market president for First Horizon Bank, will join us. Talk about this weekend's festival, what went into getting Lauren Daigle to perform, and much more right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you haven't seen the defending World Series champs in person yet, well then 
not to worry because the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with another Astros weekend getaway. Houston takes on the Oakland A's on Saturday, May 20th, and you can be there. Register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations for that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian Houston downtown, and the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station than going to the dentist. Take that, dental hygiene. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back into Crunch Time here on The Game. It's Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The Game Hotline is 337-706-0111. Every April, Festival International comes to Lafayette. It is the largest international music festival in the U.S., and it is always a great time. Carly Viator, the marketing director for Festival, is here on the game, here in the game studios, as well as Jerry Prejean, the market president for First Horizon Bank. Carly, Mr. Jerry, really appreciate you guys taking the time. How are y'all? Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having us. So, Carly, we got to talk to you last year about Festival. And ever since the COVID pandemic, things have kind of shifted into, and you're now finally starting to get back to the sense of normalcy in terms of festival. What's planning this year's event been like with with that standpoint? I mean, it's been great. Uh, Ultimately, we can see just a huge excitement from all of our patrons and our sponsors and volunteers, everyone involved. I think the pandemic gave us all uh, a reason to be thankful for Festival International. We missed it. And everyone's come back strong and excited. So things have been going great this year. We have an amazing music lineup. And, um, you know, our 5K has maxed out on runners, which is amazing. And we sold out of passes. So all kinds of great things that are helping us keep festival awesome and free. So you, you talked about festival be, being free and, you know, with the with the pins and the posters and the merchandise, you guys have been able to, to keep it free once again. Talk about the wristbands, you know, what those do in terms of an accessibility standpoint. And, you know, obviously you can upload money to it. Just kind of tell people how that works. Yeah. So the wristbands, um, in the past, we had uh, tickets for many, many years, and we got rid of that and replaced it with a more modern, efficient way for uh, making all your payments on site. So the RFID wristbands, um, you, like you said, you link your debit card to it. This year's a little bit different. You don't have to go through the refund process or continue adding funds. Once you link your debit card, you're good to go. You're only charged for what you purchase. And like I said, it's just a super efficient way to festival, less time in lines, which is awesome. And less, you know, you don't have to miss out on the bands that you're excited to see. And Mr. Jerry, talk about First Horizon's involvement with festival. I know Carly told me that, that you guys are going to be like the wristband sponsors this year. Uh, talk about the excitement of being involved with festival. Uh, certainly. First of all, we've been a longtime sponsor of Festival International, and we're excited to continue to bring the technology to the festival. Uh, the wristbands allow the patrons and, and guests of the festival to really have a hassle-free, very safe environment uh, 
not getting worried about losing tickets or washing tickets. It's all right there in your wristband. And we feel the wristband is a great way to keep uh, festival at the top end of technology as well as make it uh, hassle-free and shorter lines because it's very easy to swipe. You're not worried about receiving change, losing tickets. So it's a very uh, simplified process to uh, really enjoy the day at festival. Now, from a financial and economic standpoint, what does a, an event like this do for a, a city when you have people coming from really all over the world well, to Lafayette, Louisiana? First of all, it showcases our city, our infrastructure, our downtown. Uh, it's a great way to uh, give us the, the, the cool city kind of vibe, if you would. And I think that really helps with a lot of our large employers in helping them attract and retain their uh, top talent. Jerry Prejean, the market president for First Horizon, and Carly Viator, the marketing director for Festival International, joining us here in the game studios. Now, Carly, looking at the music lineup, it, it's so festival. One thing that's so impressive about Festival is the diversity in which the music comes from, from all over the world, different cultures, different ethnic groups. But the one name that really stands out, Lauren Daigle. <laughs> So obviously, I know she's from Lafayette, so it probably wasn't too hard to persuade her to to come play in Lafayette. But what was that process like to to get her to be on, on the Wednesday night of festival? Well, it's Lafayette Parish's bicentennial year, which is super exciting. So we wanted to do something special to celebrate how awesome Lafayette is. Um, so we put on our thinking caps, and she came to mind. You know, obviously, like you said, she's from here. And she has a lot of exciting things going on. And um, we're just lucky enough. Our programming director knows her manager and was able to get him on the phone. And, yeah, she was excited to come play festival. It fit in well with her tour and everything that she's working on right now. So she's excited. Um, it's amazing. It's one of the biggest acts, if not the biggest act, we've ever had here. So it's a beautiful way to uh, celebrate our bicentennial year and to celebrate, you know, the culture from here as well. Talk about the 5K event that you guys do on the Saturday morning of festival, how, how much fun that is. And it is get super involved. fun. Yeah. So it's become such a popular thing in the community that we have sold out again this year. It's the second time in a row that that's happened. So we're very happy to see that um, that everyone loves it as much as we do. And it's an, another great way to support Festival International with those registration fees. So, um, yeah, it's grown to be a wonderful event for our community. Good, healthy way to support Festival. I'll open this final question up to, to both of you. Is there anything that, that you want to drive home to our listeners about Festival International? Uh, for me, just come out, have fun, show some support, and be on your best behavior, uh, showcase our city well. And um, we're just thankful to everyone for their continued support. Jerry? I'd just like to say, um, certainly we appreciate the free festival. Let's keep it free. Keep your ice chests at home. Uh, support our vendors. Support uh, the beverage uh, vendors there especially. And uh, let's keep it free. For more information, how to volunteer, and to see the music lineup, www.festivalinternational.org. Carly Viator is the marketing director for Festival, and then Jerry Prejean, the market president for First Horizon, joining us here in the Evco Development Studios. Guys, really appreciate you all taking the time. Thank um, you. Enjoy for Festival, and hopefully next year we can talk to you guys again. Thanks for right. having us. Bon Thank Festival. You. We'll take a time out here on Crunch Time, and we'll be back right after this. 
He's going to go. Touchdown, Saints. Who's ready for some New Orleans Saints talk? We are. Here is Good at Wednesdays with Canal Street Chronicles' Brendan Ertle on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Brendan Ertle, what's going on, buddy? How are you? Doing great. You know, we're almost here. 24 hours. With the 29th overall pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, the New Orleans Saints select? Uh, No one. They won't be picking there. (laughs) There it is. There it is. How far do they move up? Gosh, I I mean, if if we would have had this conversation uh, yesterday, I probably would have said, no, they're going to stand pat and they'll take whoever is in that draft pool. But after listening to Mickey Loomis this morning, it sounds like, uh, moving up a little bit is definitely a possibility. Um, I'd say probably early 20s. And, um, you know, if we talked yesterday, I probably would have said Lucas Van Ness, Miles Murphy. Uh, but uh, it didn't really seem like they were as worried about defensive line as maybe we think. They probably still are. Um, but I go back to that one year when we uh, drafted Paulson Adebo we were in talks with Richard Sherman and cornerback was what Sean Payton and Mickey said a must. And there was a glaring need. Obviously it was a must. And someone asked Mickey today, do you have any must? He said, Nope. We just have wants and needs, which was interesting to me because if you ask me, I'd say defensive line is a must. Um, but if they don't have a must, then, you know, take, take your best player on your board and uh, whoever that might be. I don't know, but this is why uh, this, this period so exciting. Now, when when you look at the field for or for who the Saints could go after, the names I've seen are Lucas Van Ness, Mozzie Smith, Brian Breezy, Miles Murphy, and you know it, it's crazy. Every everything you look at says they're going defense. Mm-hmm. How, how likely is it that maybe they go offense? You know, it's interesting because. Uh, I don't. I don't know how big of an influence you know Sean Payton or Denison have on the philosophy of the draft. I think it stays pretty much the same. Um, they obviously get some kind of say, but so far I've liked what Dennis Allen has done in his time with um, the Saints drafting defensive players. Uh, I think they've been solid, but I think the clear thing we saw last year was, all right, Dennis Allen, defensive coach, I got this. First two picks in the first round are both offense. I, I mean, it might have just been coincidence, but um, it feels like he's got confidence in whoever he, you know, plays at the back end. Um, but I, I, I legit think that um, offense is not out of the play here. I just think defense might make more sense uh, for the players available. Um, Brian Brees is breezy. Whoever you say his name, it's someone that Nick Underhill has talked a lot about, and you know, I, I don't. I, I don't love his tape, but I love his last name. And if, if it's anything close to, to Breeze, I think it'd be a good pick. But uh, there's loads of potential with him. Um, I, I'd be hit fine with him at 29. I don't know if I'd trade out for him because he didn't really produce a ton at Clemson. But, you know, the his high school tape is outrageous. It's probably one of the best high school tapes you ever see. And um, the potential is there just as a, just a pure pass rusher. So, um, yeah, I mean, offense is certainly on the table. Carolina has the number one overall pick. I don't see them trading out of it now. Um, I, two weeks ago, maybe I would have said that they were still in the market to hear an offer, but but now I think they're set. They've said that they have a quarterback in mind. Who do you think it is? 
Uh, it, it'll be Bryce Young. I, I don't think that um, there's really a clear-cut number two right now. Um, I would say C.J. Stroud is, is the number two, but um, you know, the past 24 hours for C.J. Stroud has been brutal. And I don't know if, it, if that is really just the media or if that's the NFL circles, but you look at DraftKings and that's something that, you know, Vegas can control all the time. But the number two pick, just like a week ago, it was C.J. Stroud, Will Anderson. Those were like the favorites. You go look now, it's Tyree Wilson, Will Levis as the two favorites, which just is surprising to me that Tyree Wilson would be favored over Will Anderson. But um, <laughs> it's, it's the NFL draft that's going to happen. I mean, we saw Baker Mayfield be kind of a 24-hour kind of riser. Um, Will Levis is one that's been rising all throughout um, the whole draft. I think uh, he might be taken probably higher than I would ever like to take him. But this is really interesting because we usually have a clear cut number two uh, number one, number two, number three, but it feels like it's Bryce Young and then CJ Shaw, Will Levis, or Anthony Richardson. It's it's pretty much preference on the team. So um, it'll be interesting, one, to see if Houston will take a quarterback at that second spot, if they love one, or if they want to wait out for uh, Caleb Williams, or they trade back, or their draft really starts at number two. And some years it doesn't start till you know, four or five. So uh, it's an exciting year. You talked about Houston. They have picks 2 and 12. Now, I've seen people look at the Arizona Cardinals as a team that would be looking to trade out of number 3. Mm-hmm. I know this might sound crazy, but do, do you see a world where Houston calls Arizona and says, hey, we'll give you 12 and next year's second for number 3? I mean, it would have to be if the, if they're doing that. That means they are taking a quarterback, and the, but they also want Will Anderson, Correct. or they want Paris Johnson, who's been someone who's also been a riser. So that would really come down to a: do they love a quarterback? And I don't know if they do. Uh, there hasn't been a ton of smokescreen there. And b: do they love Will Anderson? I don't know. I I think Will Anderson makes a lot of sense in Arizona, um, but I think a team that we could we should be watching out for right now is there's a ton of buzz around the Tennessee Titans moving up. I think that they might have a guy that they love, whether that's CJ Stroud with the Ohio state connection with, um, Vrabel, um, or it's Will Levis. I, I don't know, but I think the Tennessee Titans are going to be the ones that kind of shock us on draft day with the trade that, uh, really surprised a lot of people. Now, when looking at the Saints, twenty, you, you thought that they would trade up from 29. I don't disagree with you. I think they're going to do the same. In the second round with pick number 40, do they hold on to that or do they try to move up from 40? I want them to hold on to that. Um, day two is, is a really interesting day because um, Mickey kind of talked about this a little bit. You can predict who will be there at 29. And, and you can. There'll, there'll be a pool of, uh, Mickey said nine players. They're probably going to be like five to ten players that they like at 29. He said that they can probably predict it will be there at 40. So just because you know kind of that the pool of players that will be there, I'd like them to stay. If they're going to move up, just use a third-round pick or a future pick. I, I think that second right now is too valuable just because of how high it is in day two. I mean, it's uh, it's eight picks into the day or seven or whatever it is. 
Um, I'm not good at math, but uh, that's pretty early for a day two pick, and I think that's something that, um, you know, it's almost like an early first, and they'll have one of those next year kind of with uh, the Denver Broncos second-round pick. Hopefully, you know, things don't go too bad there, but they could be uh, in a situation like that next year. But um, that second-round pick, it, it's kind of interesting because this year, if you, if you need a safety in the draft, it's not very deep, but second round might be, uh, a good time where you get some good value at safety. So uh, maybe they want to find the future at safety. Um, Brian Branch, JL Skinner, those are two guys that might go in the second. Um, yeah, I, I want them to stay and, and keep that fourth overall pick. I did a mock draft earlier this week, and the first three picks were Lucas Van Ness, Dalton Kincaid, and Zach Charbonnet. Whew. If it A plus. Yeah, I was about to say, if it happens that way, well, what kind of position are the Saints in then? It, it's it's weird because I really like Lucas Van Ness, but uh, his stats really aren't really there, uh, which kind of scared me because it, it feels like a – I'm not comparing him to anyone, but it just kind of feels like a Peyton Turner situation where – Now, keep, this, in, keep in mind, and, and mm-hmm. this might be a concern to some people, but – Lucas Van Ness never started a game for Iowa. Yeah, I, I thought that, that was going to be my next point. Is it, it kind of scares me that he didn't start, but you know I, I've seen how these colleges play these players, and it's a defensive line in, in college and, and the pros. You're kind of just rotational guys anyways. Um, but it's just a, a freak build, and I think the Saints love freak builds. Um, and he's, he's really young too, so I mean there's tons of talent that can be groomed from there. But I don't, I don't want to give up on Peyton Turner yet. So those are two kind of guys we're kind of making, uh, banking off of some big progress. And um, I don't know, I, I, I'm a fan of it. I mean, it's not particularly deep at a defensive defensive uh, end position. But Dalton Kincaid is someone that I really, really like. Um, Michael Mayer will probably be the favorite um, to be the first tight end pick because he can do everything so well. But Dalton Kincaid is really like that. I mean, people keep saying that he's like a Travis Kelsey. He's such a good uh, receiving threat. And you go watch the tape versus USC, it is really, really impressive what he can do. And if you told me he went in the first round, I'd be like, makes sense. I mean, the, the, the stats are there, the talent's there. Um, even a guy like Darnell Washington, even, if, if you got him at 40, I would love that as well. Um, Zach see- Darbonneau. I mean, he's really people, – people kind of sleep on his ability because I think he uh, – was kind of a little overshadowed from DTR and what DTR was able to do with his legs. So uh, I think Zach Charbonneau is really good as well. When looking at Michael Meyer, do, do you not see a Adam Troutman that played at a bigger school? Um, I mean, I, I think he blocks better. I've never been too impressed with Zach or um, Adam Troutman's blocking. I think he's fine. I think that's what he's probably the best at, but um, the things Michael was able to do in college is pretty – I get what you're saying. It is kind of similar to Adam Troutman, but, you know, Dayton to Notre Dame, I mean, it, it's a hard comparison to say, like, if Adam, if Adam Troutman was at Notre Dame, would he do the same things? Probably not. Um, and he's been there for – feels like forever, and he's been able to produce since the day he walked in the building. So I think that's just an all-around player that – uh, probably teams value more at the tight end position. I don't think it makes the most sense for the Saints just because they have 
you know, they, they have Adam and they have um, Juwan Johnson, who I think is getting a little bit better, better as a run blocker um, as and a pass blocker. But um, you kind of have both of those combined in Juwan and Adam Trout. And if you, if you combine them, you have um, a perfect tight end, but they, they haven't been able to do that yet. So uh, if they don't address the tight end position, that's fine. Mickey Loomis said it's a really deep tight end class. Um, and I'm a little bit of homer here, but I think Luke Musgrave is – uh, another free talent too that you could get, you know, on day two, and he could be a great player for you. If there, if you had to pick one position that the Saints had to address this weekend, what is it? Running back. I, I think, I think defense line's the obvious pick. But if you don't, if if the guy you want in the first round is not there, um, you know, there's not much value after that. In the second round, there might be some DTs uh, that you like, but I think they need to find a young running back. I think they need one in the room. They'll have Kamara, uh, Jamal Williams, both 28 years old. Uh, that 28 or that 30 year old benchmarks coming up. Uh, the Titans right now are talking about, do, should we draft a young running back to learn under Derrick Henry? Uh, Cause Derrick Henry's about to turn 30. So 30 is kind of that number where kind of get kind of have to figure it out very soon. And with Kamara potentially being suspended, You'd like a running mate with Jamal Williams as well. So, um, you know, if they don't draft running back in the draft, they're bringing back Mark Ingram. So, do you want Mark Ingram back to be that counterpart to Jamal Williams? I mean, it's fine. Um, I, I don't love it, but I, I love Mark Ingram, so I wouldn't I wouldn't be against it. But I, I just think they need a young guy in the building. And the end, the 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 later ends of this draft, the running back position with Tank Tank Bigsby, Zach Evans. Andre Miller. I think there's some good people, you know, on day three that they can get. So just add one. Brendan Ertle of Canal Street Chronicles joining us here on Crunch Time. Brendan, appreciate your time as always. Um, enjoy the draft this weekend. You know, I'm going to blow up your phone with with whatever oh, yeah. whatever goes down tomorrow night, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk again next week, my friend. I'll be caffeinated up, so just hit me up. There he goes, Brendan Ertle of Canal Street Chronicles. We'll take one final timeout. We'll wrap up today's show and get you on your way to the McNeese Coaches Show. Up next. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you are tired of your boring man cave, and I know you are, well, the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. Sign up in the clubhouse, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to win a brand new recliner from Borderlands Furniture, a flat screen TV from AVI, and more. It's the ultimate man cave makeover powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite and the game. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. James, quickly as we start to wrap up, big news from the LSU women's basketball recruiting trail. Kim Mulkey has offered a scholarship to a top 50 prospect in the 2024 class by the name of Mariah O'Neill. Is, is there a comparison there? You betcha. It's the daughter of Shaq. What? 
what are we what are, what are, what are we doing? We're bringing the Shaquille O'Neal connection back to Baton Rouge for a third time. Are we really surprised though? No, not no. at all. Because you got one of the top coaches and one of the top programs, and like you'd mentioned, O'Neal connection back when Shaq played at LSU. And when you watch the videos of like Shaq and Angel Reese bantering about, and you could just see everyone was having a good time, you kind of felt like there was a good chance that she would end up committing to LSU. Yeah. Um, so the scholarship has been offered, and now we wait and see to see if she accepts it. Also, speaking of updates, the Houston Astros lead one nothing in the bottom of the first after a double by Jeremy Pena. Kyle Tucker was walked on a wild pitch that advanced Pena to third. And then Bregman reached on an error by Wander Franco that scored Pena to make it one nothing in the first. There's two outs in the bottom of the first now with Hunter Brown already having one strikeout on the evening. The McNeese Coaches Show coming up tonight. The Cajuns hosting Northwestern State over at Russo Park before they host Coastal Carolina this weekend. I'll be there, so check out social media for the updates on that contest. And the McNeese Coaches Show coming up next right here on the game. want to thank Chris Rosevaglu, Brendan Moore, Carly Viator, and Jerry Prejean, and Brendan Ertle for joining us today here on Crunch Time. Come back tomorrow. Cajuns Corner and... You guessed it, more NFL draft talk right here on The Game. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, hug your mom and them, and you've been listening to Crunch Time on 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. It is now time to head over to Lake Charles for the McNeese Coaches Show with your host, Jim Gazzolo.